Please turn with me to 1 Corinthians as we continue in our series of life together. We're going to be in chapter 1, starting at verse 18, and we're actually going to be reading the scripture first today. So 1 Corinthians 1, starting at verse 18. For the message about the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, God decided through the foolishness of our proclamation to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks desire wisdom, but we proclaim Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those who are the called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. For God's foolishness is wiser than human wisdom, and God's weakness is stronger than human strength. Consider your own call, brothers and sisters. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in this world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, things that are not, to reduce to nothing things that are, so that no one might boast in the presence of God. He is the source of your life in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God, and righteousness, and sanctification, and redemption, in order that, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. I want to tell you a little bit this morning about my youth pastor. His name was Neil Turner, and he was a remarkable person. First off, he loved kids of all kind because he was really just a big kid himself, and he was hilarious. He was a quintessential youth guy who created community with all of us through games and deep discussions and service projects and ridiculous late-night parties and lots of camp and yearly mud football on New Year's Day. He gave us real opportunities for ministry. I preached my first sermon when I was 17. Who does that? The church was right across the street from our high school, and we could see his office when we left campus. So he told us, whenever my office door is open, which was most days, you can come and hang out after school. We had small group one day a week where he discipled both uh, guys and girls together. Other days we would just wander over and I'm sure we would like complain about our teachers or talk about whatever. And someday he would take us home or someday we would all go get Cokes. One day we were with him and he said rather out of the blue, do you know how you all could pray for me? We all looked at one another. Not sure what to expect. Was this a joke? Remember this is a youth pastor. He said, whenever you think of me, you can pray for wisdom. I really want God to give me more of that. Now, as a teenager, I have to be honest with you and tell you, this did not really resonate with me. (laughs) Who cares about wisdom? (laughs) Who would pray for that? (laughs) Not very wise, Colleen. 
an unselfish request so that he might serve God better. But I really had no clue what he was talking about. Of course, the older I've gotten and the more ministry I've taken on, the more I understand that he was asking to be more dependent on the Lord. It is a good and important thing to pray for wisdom because God meets us in that prayer in ways that change our hearts and who we are in him. I was thinking about my old friend this week because our passage is full of words about wisdom. There's so much paradox here. There's so much going on. I feel like we could just sit with it for weeks and all of you could like, you know, pull out things from it. It was a challenge for me this week to read through it again and again and try to understand what is Paul talking about? I looked at like lots of different commentaries to get different perspectives. Finally, the Lord showed me when I wasn't getting anywhere else. I said, Lord, I'm not kidding you. Please give me your wisdom because I'm out of ideas here. And the Lord showed me that while Paul is talking about what it means to be wise, this is actually a passage about humility. You see, the apostle is telling us that the wisdom of God is completely different than humanity's understanding of what it means to be wise. And we are often far apart on the spectrum. What brings us in alignment to God is our decision to humble ourselves to his perspective. Solomon reminded his audience that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And sometimes we get hung up on the word fear, forgetting that it means deep respect or awe, a reverence that makes us fall on our knees. We begin to have wisdom, says Solomon, when we continually try to understand who God is. This becomes the foundation of our life with God then. And Paul is giving a kingdom reversal here, showing how to respond to God's wisdom, how to respond to his intervention with humanity. Remember, Paul is bringing correction to this community of faith because they have lost their way a bit. The first issue that Paul talked to them about was unity. And last week we discussed how the church needs to reflect the wholeness of Christ, who is not divided. This church had split into factions. So Paul is calling them to come back together. And now he says, think about your wisdom. Think about the different people that you're following, Paul and Apollos and Cephas. Really? Is that the wisdom that the Lord has given you? And key to his conversation is to have them take a posture of humility before God. Paul hangs these words on verse 18, which we touched on last week. The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. You see, the cross divides humanity. What was intended for redemption, to right that which was wrong in all of creation, to bring people back into relationship with God, has now become an obstacle. The cross is an obstacle. And God chooses not to override our free will. And so we come to a passage where Paul invites us to think about what it means to have wisdom. Because he says, there's not an in-between. Either we're living 
by following a human way, or we're living in the power at work through the cross to save us. So there are four ideas I want to highlight from this passage as we think about wisdom and foolishness grounded in humility. First, in verses 19 through 21, we see that humans seek wisdom apart from the Lord. So I was in a hotel room this week and I was flipping through some channels. Man, there's some foolishness on TV. You should be glad your pastor doesn't really have more time for escape TV. Because, whoa, wow. Now, it says God, Paul says God is going to frustrate the efforts of people who seek wisdom apart from him. Because he wants us to see him as the source of wisdom. Paul offers a quote from Isaiah in the beginning here, saying, God will destroy the wisdom of the wise and, and the discerning of the discernment of the discerning he will thwart. This is a passage that refers to Isaiah when Israel had taken matters into their own hands. They were afraid that they were going to be destroyed by their enemies, and so they tried to save themselves by building an alliance with Egypt. Well, Assyria got freaked out. This sparked an invasion by Assyria, and Israel was just about decimated, and God came in and rescued them. And Isaiah says to them, you know, God doesn't really need your help. He wants you to turn to him first, trusting in his wisdom. And now Paul uses those words to show the Corinthian church, hey, this is not a new issue. God has long had an ongoing battle with humanity over who knows best. Paul then goes on to ask a series of questions designed to make his audience think about the best and the brightest that they have. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? These are the ones humanity looks to in order to find truth. In our culture, we highly prize those in academia, those who work hard in their fields of study to guide us in our thinking. Paul is not saying that's wrong. He himself values reason and intelligent thought. He's employing both right now. He's simply saying that when people think they know everything without God, that is foolish. There's a story that George Washington Carver tells that fits in here. Remember that Carver was one of the greatest scientists of the 20th century. He was born into slavery in Missouri, but he rose from that beginning by devoting his life to intellectual pursuits, especially by understanding nature and agriculture. He had a deep love for God. He became a Christian at the age of 10 when Jesus came to his heart when he was shelling corn in a barn by himself. He called his laboratory God's little workshop. And one day he said he was in prayer, and this was his prayer. Dear Mr. Creator, please tell me what the universe is made for. God answered him, ask for something more in keeping with that little mind of yours. <laughs> so he tried again. Dear Mr. Creator, what was man made for? Again, the Lord replied, little man, you ask too much. Cut down the extent of your request and improve the intent. Now, has God ever talked to any of you that way? I was thinking about that. Man, if God ever spoke to me that way, I would write it down. Colleen, cut down the extent of your request and improve the intent. This guy was smart. So the scientist tried once more. 
Then, Mr. Creator, will you tell me why the peanut was made? That's better, said the Lord. And beginning with that day, George Washington Carver discovered 300 uses for the lowly peanut. You see, there are those who look to God for wisdom, and there are those who do not. There are those who are humble enough to know whatever insight they receive is from the Lord who is over all. Paul is saying that the world tries to figure out how to save themselves, and God doesn't allow that. There are those who think they have everything figured out with no need for a savior. That's a frustrating path for the proud. God designed the world to show humanity their helplessness, to prepare the way for the savior. It doesn't matter how learned you are by the world's estimation. God has made foolish the world's wisdom by providing a way that they cannot find on their own. He delights in saving those who believe. But those who rely on their own efforts, Paul says, will be forever frustrated. So let us be humble in seeking God. Second, in verse 22 through 25, we see that humans demand proof that God is with them, rejecting what he has already offered on their behalf. He wants them to see the Messiah that he has sent. Paul goes goes into a section here where he uses two groups from their context as an example of how people have responded to Jesus. While they are uh, specific to what is true in their culture, there are common ideas here that we resonate with. Their Jewish counterparts wanted a sign from God. This makes sense to us because God gave them signs along the way to show them that he was with them. He spoke directly to certain people. He sent angels and visions. The Red Sea parted. They had a pillar of fire and a cloud to follow. It's interesting because when Jesus comes, he also does signs and wonders. People were healed miraculously. Wine was provided. Demons were driven out. Over 5,000 were fed with just a few morsels. But Jesus didn't come in great power to reign, as many had hoped. A Messiah who dies in the way that Jesus did was believed to be cursed in Jewish thought. So that seemingly proved to them that he was not the real thing. The crucifixion came then to be a stumbling block, or how the original reads, it was a scandal. What seemed wise to them was that Messiah would come who had authority and would use that on their behalf. The Greeks, also called Gentiles here, look for true wisdom from God. They love logic and arguing. We know people like that. Sometimes we are like that. Their many gods, though, never became human, which, of course, Jesus was. The deities that they were used to were apathetic. Who cares? Did the human condition because they were busy with running the universe and fighting one another. To them, Jesus is not a wise choice to follow because he was ridiculous and not even godlike. Gods don't suffer. They inflict pains on others. Their gods might have tragic parts of their stories, but they wouldn't die as a criminal like Jesus did. So the crucified Christ hardly looks like a rescuer for those who are looking for one. We have people in our lives who find the whole idea of Jesus' story quite hard to believe and actually very offensive. Paul says, but God's foolishness is wiser than human wisdom and God's weakness is stronger 
than human strength. Jesus' power was chosen intentionally to reside in love. He chose to serve those he came to save. It's not what the world expected, not what the world wanted, and certainly not how the world behaves. Because so many leaders all over the globe use power and authority to demand their way. And people then get harmed in the process. Paul is saying that the choice that God made, the way that Jesus did it, was the wisest course of action he could have taken on behalf of the world to serve, to die, to forgive. God let go of his privilege and his power so that others might live. This is a reversal of values that looks utterly foolish, but it is the wisdom of God. C.S. Lewis says, God is not proud. He will have us even though we have shown we prefer everything else to him. That is another bit of news that the world cannot believe. What kind of God allows humans to make a fool out of him? One who radically loves us and will do anything it takes to have us in his family. Thirdly, humans elevate those that they think are great. Yet God, who is legitimately great chose to come as a commoner and reveals himself to those the world does not consider important. This is such a key piece in God's whole story. And it's one of the key reasons maybe why people just can't believe. Look at what Paul says to the Corinthians. Not many of you were wise, powerful, or of noble birth by human standards. Remember that Corinth is a relatively newer city that had been built up again by the Caesar There are very few families who have important pedigrees. Many in the church are laborers in the trades or freed slaves. There are some who are wealthy, but it's not the norm. Paul is complimenting them on their humble circumstances because it has meant to them that they have receptive hearts. And that's part of why God showed them who he was. Why does God choose those that the world looks down on? Why such an emphasis? One of the reasons is because they are the ones who are rejected by the world. This isn't just about poverty. There are those who are truly humble regardless of education or annual income or social status. And they're able to receive what the Lord wants to give. Paul is reminding the church that the Lord has called them. And they didn't have to be special by any human standard. And because of that, they should stay near to him. Stay close to his truth. The following of different leaders has led them to a foolish place. Scripture says God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Today, the church has to continue to reach out to the ones that the the world rejects. Look at verse 27. God chose what was weak and what was low and what was despised. No one is outside of our purview, of our love, The work of God is to reach out to everyone with a special eye on those who are alone and afraid and addicted and on the margins. Again, let's think about Paul. He understands the juxtaposition he's explaining because he was foolish for a long time. He was convinced that he knew what God wanted. So he put himself in a position of power over those who could not fight back and made them conform to his will. Paul knows what it means to act on foolishness, confident that he's in the right, only to find God 
in his righteousness, acts so that all can live equally. Have you ever found yourself practicing what you thought was wise? Only to find that it wasn't even close (laughs) in the realm of what God wanted for you? There have been seasons in my life when I have been following the Lord, but choosing to adopt truly foolish thoughts because of my peers or because of voices around me. There have been decisions that I've made only to find out how foolish they were because I thought that I knew best. I've chosen to be proud when it has taken me far away from God's best for me and farther away from his people. So how do we know? How do we know what's wise and what is foolish? I think the only way is by humbling ourselves. By praying over our hearts and our decisions with humility. Paul is telling the church that to be thought to be foolish in the eyes of the world is not a bad thing. It's not a bad thing. In fact, maybe that's one of the ways we know when we're in the right place. Four. Christ has become our wisdom, so we boast in him alone. Now this is an amazing thought. Wisdom has a name. Wisdom is not a philosophy. It's a person. Jesus. This helps so much. To those who believe God has given three things. Righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. All of the things that we need to live and live again. We have the power of God in us through Jesus. Salvation comes to the Lord so that no one can boast. I get so sad when I see signs around that say, born right the first time. I hate that. Or born again pagan. Or devout atheist. You see, these are boasting. These are boasting, but not in the Lord. These people want recognition for how they don't need Jesus. We're fine. We're fine. Please don't preach to us. The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. To those who would receive him, Jesus became for us the wisdom of God. And so let us give credit to him for our salvation. The church is not a place where we boast that we've been saved and other people haven't. As if it were our idea or we had something to do with it. It is a place where we humbly give thanks while praying and working for those who do not yet believe. So, Paul is telling us, But there's no real wisdom apart from God. And I think praying daily for wisdom is a good thing. Because when we step into that place, we step into the very presence of the living Savior who became for us the wisdom of God. And when we do that, God will give us key discernment and ability beyond ourselves Paul's message to the Corinthian church is that they have allowed their pride in their different ideas to supersede what Christ has given them to do. True wisdom comes from humility to seek God for who he is, to trust God for what he has given, 
to remember that God elevates the lowly in spirit and to always boast in him. So let's continue to live in the wisdom and the power of the cross. Let's pray.